Welcome to Climify, the podcast that connects climate scientists and design educators together so that we can help combat our climate crisis in our classrooms. The discussions on this program are geared to help you climify your syllabi to assign projects that not only teach design fundamentals, but also can have a positive impact on our climate. My name is Chris Cabrera. I am a marine conservationist, an educator, and the founder of the Conservationist Collective, which is an impact company and organization based out of Oahu in Hawaii. And I create content under the online handles Carissa and Climate, but we also have the Conservationist Collective on Instagram and TikTok and our website and our newsletter and all the things. Earlier this season, in our eighth episode, I learned from soil expert Lainey Signer how soil was extremely important for our climate. A friend told me that as much as soil is important, our oceans might be more. So I looked into that. I found the Conservationist Collective and our guest today, Carissa Cabrera. She taught me in the interview you're about to hear that yes, oceans are vital to the health of everything on our planet. However, without healthy soil, Oceans can deteriorate, causing a loss of marine life and in turn, hurt us. Everything is connected, a phrase you should never forget when you create, when you teach, and live your life. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Carissa as much as I did. Well, welcome, Carissa, to Climify. I'm happy to have you on this special edition to end season two. Special gift to our listeners to end the year. So thank you for being on. Thank you for having me and congratulations on completing the season. Yes. And and you're on season two of your podcast. So I imagine you're winding down as well. Yeah. Um, our podcast, Sustainability in the Sea, does similar but not the same things as Climify, but just educating people about the importance of our blue planet and solutions. So yeah, winding down a season as well. And you're on the other side of the microphone this time. How does it how does it feel? I know. I'm trying to do more of this, trying to have more interview conversations. So yeah. there's me showing up in that way, but I guess we'll see. I'm it so far is not too intimidating. <laughs> well, you have the radio voice, so it all seems to work out. Oh, thank you. <laughs> well, I wanted to ask you a lot of questions today. So I'm in the essence of time, I'll get right to it. And you have a very interesting background and what you do currently. So I'm interested in just what led you to the work you're doing in marine biology and starting this great organization that you have started. Yeah. Um, whenever I share this, I always feel like it gives like sheds a lot of light because so many people are always asking like, how do you get where you are? And I'm relatively young. And so basically um, I pursued marine biology I didn't specialize till I got my master's degree um, because the undergraduate college that I went to actually didn't have a marine science program. Um, and I found myself in Hawaii studying marine biology in a two-year program. And I always wanted to specialize in megafauna, which is like protected species, like the dolphins, the sea turtles of the world. And um, I really learned a lot about the threats that the ocean was facing mm -hmm. in school and it quickly pivoted to conservation. Um, and then just through the, the plight of finding a job after graduation, I found myself on like a very um, nonprofit track. So I had been on like 
leading a club or an organization at a college that went not that went um 501c3 and became a nonprofit. I'd worked at a lab and started program. I just worked in um really like grassrootsy organizations where you you, mm-hmm. you carry a lot of responsibility. Um and then after years of working in non the nonprofit space with animal rescue and um we have a lot of endangered species in Hawaii. Um I felt like I had a lot of experience building programs and managing people. And then during peak lockdown of COVID um, in 2020, I just, I think everyone was reflecting on their lives yeah, and yeah. Yeah, everyone. And I, I, I made the decision to, um, to start my own thing. I felt like I had been given a lot of the tools with my previous experience to, to do it. So um, I founded the Conservationist Collective in 2020. And I guess we're actually about a week before our two-year anniversary. Two-year anniversary. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Lies. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So when you were um, going through school and everything, um, well, even before that, when you were younger, was was the water something you were, that you cared about? Like, were you a swimmer or like, what was, did you live by the ocean? You know, did you live in Hawaii? No, I had never been to Hawaii before I had moved there yeah. for school. Um, I think that so I grew up in Arizona, um, which is a landlocked state, but it's also really close to places like California or Mexico, which I had the right. privilege of visiting with my family growing up. And so I always tell people like the ocean stayed really special to me growing up because it was something that wasn't accessible all the time. And, you know, we could only see every once in a while on vacation. And um, my parents were just really um, proactive about like, getting me in the water and learning how to snorkel when I was young. And I think that when you're like that curious about the world and then snorkeling is such a, you know, it can be scary the first few times you do it, but actually being able to be in the ecosystem is like really life-changing. I was not originally going to pursue marine biology in high school when I was like in that decision-making phase of my life. I was going to pursue photography. And then I ended up watching a documentary in an AP English class that was an assignment. She let us like just analyze a documentary. And the one that, the one that we chose was about dolphins. It was called The Cove for anyone listening. Oh my gosh, yeah. 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 So it was over after that. And um, yeah. but it was a Who very- doesn't important. love dolphins? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so the, the documentary was shed light on the way that dolphins are treated in a certain part of the world that drives the um, captive entertainment industry. And I just remember being like, well, this is what I'm dedicating my life to, which is interesting. I don't work in that space, but I just remember it being like an aha moment for me when I was 17. But when I found you on Instagram, I said, I have to talk to you. And I wanted to be a marine biologist when I was one. Yeah, I know. It's a little known fact about me. And I think (laughs) I think it was like in middle school. I think I was the most interested in being a marine biologist. I don't think I even knew what they did. (laughs) Yeah, it's just like how it was marketed. I always talk about that with my partner. Like it was just like Nat Geo and like exploration. That might have been it. Or or watching all these like. Discovery uh, Channel. Yeah, animal documentaries on, on, you know, whatever PBS or whatever cable channel I watched it on. And I was so set set on moving to San Diego. I was going to go to Scripps in San Diego. Yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> and then I think my dad told me that, oh, he has this program that he bought into where I have to go to a public school for college in the state of Michigan. 
And I was like, oh, I guess there's no marine biology in Michigan. So I just kind of, which probably there was, I just didn't do my homework and <laughs> I went into design. So I don't know. Well, hey, all the work you're doing now still really helps the ocean. Yeah. So full yeah. circle. I still have a big interest in marine biology. So I'm here to learn today. From yeah. You. Yeah. I mean, it's such a general term, right? Like there's so many disciplines and niches inside of it. And I think that's part of the the um, learning in college about like, oh, do I really want to do this? Because um, you kind of go through this awakening where you're realizing, oh, what it was, what it was promoted or marketed as maybe when I was making these decisions when I was younger, what not necessarily what it is. Um, yeah. And then that's when a lot of people make the decision to either leave or um, stick with it in the form that they chose. I think and it I was think probably Jacques Cousteau. I think that was who I was. Yeah, the, the Bill Nye's, the Steve Irwin's. Right, yes. Bill Nye was another one. Yeah, they're actually a lot of the reason why I prioritize media so much in our company, just because it's everyone you talk to. It's like, yeah, that's the stuff that got me stoked about it originally. It's like, we got to get access to people, especially in long, in landlocked states. Yeah. So you're not only a marine biologist, you're a CEO, and yeah. you're a, a creative director, which I find super cool because, <laughs> of course, in the creative field, um, is that based on like your photo background or what, what, how did the creative director thing happen for you and, and how do you implement everything? Yeah. So organization? I mean, give like a little bit of background because we're not necessarily, I guess, a traditional organization. Um, and I say organization, we are a for-profit, um, but I say organization because we work primarily with nonprofits. So we basically founded, me and my partner, we founded, who's also a marine biologist, we founded the Conservationist Collective um, as a community and media platform about marine conservation, ideally so that young people could one, find peers that care about the same things that they do or learn what they care about and also like use media to reach those people. So um, the creative piece of it, like, yeah, I, I did have like a lifelong interest in photography and things like that. Um, but I also was always someone who, you know, like edited little videos. And mm -hmm. so and so was my partner. And we all we saw like, oh, short the rise of short films. And we were thinking to ourselves, like this, is, there's a huge niche that's being carved out with like, the way that we've adopted not only just social media, but technology in general, and it's only going to become um, wider. And mm -hmm. so when we founded the Conservationist Collective, we knew that media was going to be the primary tool that we use to kind of advance everything, which is why, you know, we have a strong social media presence. We have a blog, we have a podcast um, as just carve outs of entry points for people. But um, the creative director piece of it, I think, comes from a lot of the content that we actually produce. Um, so like storytelling and scripting and how we present information, um, I do a lot of that. And then my partner, who's an incredible producer, um, does so much of the actual nitty gritty um, in the application. Yeah, kind of you need that. Work. Yeah, he's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> um, but essentially, the Conservationist Collective is, I guess, capitalizing off the fact that all of us want to learn things in a convenient way and in an entertaining way. And um, instead of, you know, the Steve Irwin or Jacques Cousteau episodes that we watched growing up, it's yeah. something else. And we're trying to be that something else right now. Um, yeah. It makes sense. It does. So maybe can you elaborate more about that? And that seems to be leading into your mission of, oh, yeah, of this of organization. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So we 
another reason I wanted to work um, under the umbrella of this organization was because I care a lot about so many different things. And I didn't want to niche specialize. And I'd worked in animal rescue for so long and animal response. And I was a little burnt out, honestly. It was um, hard to be on the side yeah. of like the challenge instead of like the solutions, right? You, so, were you acting as like as a veterinarian basically for like injured dolphins? I was acting as like field and stranding response for dolphins, sea turtles, seabirds, and seals, um, which are like the primary megafauna um, that are protected in Hawaii. And it was like, you know, necropsies and disentanglements and oh, man. with the public and for years. And it was so incredible. I And I think it shaped me definitely to where I am. Um, I just, I really wanted to be on the side of solutions. And I had the opportunity to build some solution-focused programs when I was affiliated with other nonprofits. And that really showed me that um, I wanted to be part of solutions for the long haul. So yeah. um, at the Conservationists Collective, we, our main goal is to like amplify and scale ocean climate solutions in like a local and collective way, ideally for our blue planet. So um we work with nonprofits, so we'll like go in and build their build a program for them or make sure their media is strong or create media for them. But then we will also work under grants to advance like we've produced a short film that's on Water Bear that is kind of um, like an inspiration or entry point for young people. And then we have different projects and programs that I'm really passionate about that we can um, dive more into. But yeah, definitely highlight like localized, um, localized solutions. So right now we're funding, um, like these coral outreach signs that talk about the importance of coral reefs at like a very popular beach on Oahu. It's like considered one of the most famous beaches in the world. And so people are there all the time and they just mm -hmm. don't know they're stepping on coral and they just don't know. Yeah, that, that's terrible. Right. Yeah. And it, a part of a huge piece of this is also that I have like about nine years in specialized experience in education. And so I would run education and outreach programs for these organizations. And I was um, a middle school teacher for a year too. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I know. So like, and we built, we, so I like really tailor education and outreach materials to be like fun, like something with this sign. We're like in these meetings and we're like, we need to make it Instagrammable. And it's like, mm -hmm. it's hard to have those. I couldn't have those conversations in another organization because they wouldn't know what I was saying. But I'm like, right. no, we need this to be cute enough that people are going to take photos of it. And mm -hmm. uh, we also build middle school curriculum under grants um, to enhance ocean climate literacy. And uh, we've got Cetacean Connections coming out this December. So that's a cool name. Yeah, thank you. The first <laughs> one was called Ocean Connections. So then this one, Cetacean Connections. So I'm like, they'll all just build on each other if we yeah. ever make um, what are the biggest issues that you have found or that you know of for these megafauna in our oceans and the ocean itself? Yeah, that's thank you for asking that question. Um, when I, I guess was, that's a, there's a twofold answer to that. When it comes to the megafauna, um, you know, entanglement is a leading threat to all these, especially air breathing um, animals. And um Entanglement, you know, is not coming from straws. It's coming from fishing gear, um, mm -hmm. illegal, unregulated, unmanaged fishing activities in the high seas. Um, there's a lot of incredible people doing the work to remove derelict gear from our oceans. That's, but, that, but I just wanted to highlight that because when you look up primary threats of all these endangered species, entanglement is usually in the top three. Yeah, I um, didn't know that. 
yeah, it's uh, it's really, it's it's under shared, right? Which is another yeah. reason why we want to build this. We're sharing it. We get it out. We're sharing yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and then the main thing with the ocean is just that I think people don't see see how the ocean plays a role in our global climate. Like I, a huge piece of what we want to do is let people understand that ocean conservation is climate action and the ocean regulates our global climate. It creates 50 to 80% of the air that we breathe. You don't have to be on a coastline to benefit from the ocean because it's absorbed 90% of the heat from global heating. Yeah. So it's, it's a big, it, it, it's, it's one of the car- biggest, right? Yeah. It's the biggest one, the biggest carbon sink. The and biggest. so, and it's, um, when we talk about like climate solutions, it's, it's, it's hard to know that the ocean hasn't even been included in policy yet. And so advancing those types of marine conservation things are helpful. And from my perspective, in the U.S. specifically, which is a different ballgame than the global view of um, climate action, is marine conservation actually hasn't been politicized yet. And so even though... Yeah, it's a good thing. So we can use the way that we're all so excited and love the ocean and love the animals inside it to help advance conservation solutions for the climate too. And that was another reason I wanted to start my own organization was just like doing watershed work upstream is helping the ocean. Like mm-hmm. talking to kids in classrooms is helping the ocean. So once you start like viewing it as all connected, um, you don't have to be like, oh, there's so much plastic pollution. I just want to focus on plastic pollution. You can like view it holistically, which is right. how our earth works anyway. Yeah, I think the plastic pollution is what I think a lot of us hear most about. And of course, that's yeah. still a problem, but it is uh, the, the entanglement stuff like I, that kind of breaks my heart, really, because I mean, I'm a vegetarian and I really Ew. only eat fit. You're a vegetarian, too. You would have to be in that job, right? <laughs> you think. <laughs> you think. Um, and I, I do eat fish if there's like, I'm out to dinner and there's like nothing I can get, right? Yeah. But I always feel bad. So I that's another thing of this is like, there has been such a shame focused um, nar- individualist narrative about certain things. Like, okay, we live in like a privileged socioeconomic class where we can have the opportunity choose that vegetarian options we go to restaurants that have vegetarian options um what a lot of people don't realize is that actually like a billion people in the world depend on seafood as their primary source of that's protein. true so it's like we can't yes we're doing i promote plant-based eating in any form um in perf- imperfect form mostly and um but we have to doesn't absolve us from solving those really big issues yeah. Seafood, seafood industry and sector because so billions of people rely on it. So mm-hmm. we're still going to have to address it. Um, there's, I, I know the entanglement thing can be a really saddening topic to talk about, but there's so many incredible people doing the work. Like there's this one program in Hawaii that's just got funded. Um, they're putting a bounty on fish on big fishing nets. So longline fishermen are going to be paid to collect fishing gear and the bounty that's, that's being, smart. I know. And the bounty that's being um, is like more money than their than the catch. So when they're out there and they're like, "Oh, we got like a few hours left, let's get let's get gear, yeah, get more," <laughs> you know. And it's like an a economic- reward based thing. That's makes yeah, sense. I know. So there's great people doing the work. So okay. don't be too sad. 
Well, I did see a lot of stuff about uh, marine life and, and plastic pollution and it's and inspired me to make a set of like four prints about like these mutant fish that were, you know, either in, I guess, absorbed into the plastic. And then I saw it's a kind of horrific video about a sea turtle getting a straw pulled out of its nose. Um, that I, that video is like the reason I started my company. OK. Oh, really? Because it's. Yes. All these prints is because I saw that and the turtle was crying or screaming and it was in a lot of pain. Yeah, it broke my heart. And I'm like, this can't happen again. Right. So, so that video, first of all, what prints did you make? What did you end up? What was your action item after watching that video? You made like were they outreach prints like to educate about plastic pollution? They, they weren't really any action oriented thing. It was just sort of like a cathartic. Um, response. I took these old etchings of different kinds of fish, and um, I, I I did one with the turtle, for instance, and I called it turtle wax. And it was like almost as if the turtle wax container was uh, the shape of the turtle was almost the turtle wax container, and he had this straw coming out of his nose. It was yeah. they were fairly realistic etchings, and then I morphed them into kind of like mutant fish. Yeah. And it was just sort of like a cautionary tale. I know fear doesn't really work as well, but it was just no, something I had to get out of my system, right? Yeah, that video inspired millions of people. And what I don't know if everyone understands is it also resulted in sweeping policy across the U.S. Did I didn't know that. Yeah, to ban straws. and That's right. And, and there was, it was almost like, because of the social shift of that video, the states didn't even knew it need to do a top-down policy because restaurants knew they had to to meet consumer and market demand that mm -hmm. they started doing paper and reusable straws. Right. So that was a whatever, like a minute and a half video that went viral like in 2018. And I remember feeling like if a video can do this, like what am I do? I need to be making right. shows. And then yeah. thus the TikTok career begins. <laughs> I have not watched your TikTok videos. Maybe oh, I should. Oh, goodness. Don't. <laughs> no, <laughs> I still feel like weird and disconnected from it, but I'm like, it's such a powerful tool that I'm like, just get on there and make something. Mm, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, in one of the previous episodes that I had this season, um, it was with a soil expert. Um, and she talked a, a lot about why healthy soil matters. And I posted this on LinkedIn and one of my friends chimed in and said, healthy oceans matter too. And so now's my chance to ask you then, why does healthy oceans matter? Well, healthy, healthy soil means healthy seas. So does we've got, everything's yeah, connected. It's all connected. So, you know, runoff, especially in island regions and coastal regions, like our soils need to be, um, nutrient rich and cared for and cultivated and soil is a regenerative climate solution so we we've got we're we're launching a compost guide next year because composting is not only a climate solution it creates healthy soils it connects you back to your food systems and it helps the ocean so um i just yeah it's all connected and yeah. People who want to learn more about soils, Kiss the Ground is an incredible documentary that talks about it. it. Um, but healthy seas, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to worry listeners. I think I just want to talk a little bit about systems in place that maybe people don't understand. So 
you know, the ocean, we mentioned the ocean absorbs most of the heat. The ocean um, is our biggest buffer against the climate crisis. The ocean generates recreation, subsistence, um, air, clean air. Um, for example, like coral reefs are getting such a moment right now, I think because they're so, um, so at stake. And, you know, when I talk about the importance of coral reefs, I'm like, they're not just creating fish stocks for our local fishers to fish. They're protecting our coastlines. They're um, generate their fish larvae like nurseries. They're mm. keeping sea turtles protected. And they're also like a huge piece of tourism destinations. And so when I think when people like to your question of like why do healthy seas matter, it's like I think that everything we do is a result of a healthy ocean. And um Sylvia Earle always talks about how we used to think the ocean was limitless and bottomless. And the past 15 years has shown us like it's not. Mm. And um, when you reach these tipping points in the ocean, and I'm sure you're familiar too with your work with climate, it's like we want to do what we can to not get us past those tipping points because those can be irreversible uh, or they're reversible on geologic timescales, but they're mostly right. not irreversible. Yeah, they're irreversible. So um, I think there's a lot of comfort in knowing how connected we are to the ocean, but it also means that we have like a responsibility to promote ocean health. And one of the campaigns that we work with an incredible youth advocate on is um, ocean health, human health. And it's so they're so connected. Plastic is the case study. The primary case study is you see like those studies that are popping out, like microplastics in your blood, like endocrine disruptors, like they're in um, the placenta, like all these studies are coming out about God. how, I know how microplastics are like in us and that can, you know, alter our, some of our organ systems. And so if people didn't care like about the way that plastic pollution impacts our ocean, we know that they will care about how it impacts their families and their yeah, that's a good point. families. And so I've found like connecting it back to humans and, you know, our self-interest and our day-to-day -day is all, it's all, it's important for all issues, but it's also important for the ocean. So. Yeah. That came up for me when I was doing that mutant fish project in that um, I was reading about microplastics in fish, like you mentioned, because they were eating it in the oceans and then we're eating the fish. So what are we eating? Right. Are we eating? We're eating it. Yeah. We're eating those microplastics. About a credit card a week. Is, is that the, oh that's the study estimate from but that's an outdated study it's a few years old now but that's so the more it's high that's more then yeah it was the the credit card a week was the high-end estimate of the study but yeah roughly you guys credit card a week <laughs> like and then what happens to those microplastics in your body right do we know yeah know. so you know a lot of the toxins in you know, for those of you that don't know, plastic is refined from crude oil, which is a fossil fuel. So the plastic crisis is linked to the climate crisis, is. Yeah. to the health crisis. And so um, when you add like certain environmental factors to plastic that can promote like toxin leaching. So like I'm like, try not to have, I try not to get soup to go right in styrofoam containers because yeah. like, or have tea in like a plastic cup, right? Those are things that you can do to help minimize in some ways the toxins leaching out but um at the end of the day like we live in a plastic world it's pretty crazy to think that this was only scaled commercially like within the last seven decades yeah like, like 1950s right 50s it was the 50s yeah. it's like when yeah 
It was a and, and water is the universal solvent. So if you are putting water a lot in plastic bottles, right? It's yeah, that, it's leaching into your water. Yes, that study, that credit card study, showed that there was like a a significant difference in the amount of plastic microplastics consumed if you source your water out of plastic water bottles. So. Yes. <laughs> So it's like I, I avoid them like the plague, but I see them everywhere. And so now it's like, oh, don't just get a reusable water bottle like for the ocean or for the environment. Get it for yourself. You. Yeah. 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 That that can resonate, right? Because we are very into our own heads, right? And we care about ourselves first, which is first. fine, but we also need to care about others. Yeah, And, and so it's a good motivating tool. From our perspective, it's like we have to tailor our messaging for that to be effective, right? Because I care more about being effective than I care about being like anything else. And so just make it about them. It'll help. It'll be helpful. <laughs> yeah. So you do a lot of media there. Do you work with any designers or how can how can someone um, get involved maybe as a volunteer or something yeah. with your organization? So we do have a designer in-house. She's incredible. And um, she's a graphic designer and runs our marketing. They're the channel. best. Yeah, literally <laughs> amazing. And, and you know, it's fun to visual. I'm a visual learner. Like, it's so helpful to have that medium, right? So um, we don't have a volunteer program right now. Um, we all we do take interns sometimes. So I always tell people, right. like, you can subscribe to our newsletter. It's called The Ripple. Um, it comes out monthly with blue news and blue jobs and blue internships. And then if we have a position, it'll be on there. Um, but we want to focus on like really making an impact more than anything. I think that mm -hmm. there's a lot of people who are out there um, promoting and solutions, which is so incredible and being communicators and things like that. But I get a lot of fulfillment and my purpose out of like doing solutions that I can see too. And so I really want to, I, I've created a boundary in our work where we allocate 50% of the time to that. That's minimum. wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to pause here for a few minutes to listen to some messages and we'll okay. be back to talk about more of that impact and climate action. Where do young designers see themselves at the intersection of climate change and innovation? And how can we teach that intersection in the classroom? Designers are problem solvers, capable of imagining solutions for a more sustainable future. We have a bigger role to play in all phases of the design process, not just the beginning. My name is Rachel Cifarelli, graphic designer, recent college grad, and part of the Climate Designers EDU team. And after graduating, I realized today's classrooms tend to skip over that universal side of design. So if you're a design educator, I want to hear from your students. Help set in motion the first ever project that centers students at the intersection of design education and climate change. I want to know what your students think about sustainable design, how they see climate change impacting their future careers, and what even comes to mind when they hear the term climate design. Send your students to climatedesigners.org slash edu slash new wave survey to take the five question survey or sign up for an interview with me. Help me inform a new wave of design education, one that teaches every designer how to be a climate designer. Are you someone who loves the ocean, climate solutions, sustainability, and marine biology? Hi, I'm Carissa, a marine biologist and co-host of Sustainability in the Sea, a podcast for ocean people looking to find their way in ocean conservation. We sit down with wave makers doing awesome work to protect our blue planet, and you can listen to their story to help you build yours. Find us wherever you listen to podcasts. 
All right, we're back here with Carissa, and we're going to be talking about impact and climate action. And you mentioned impact um, right before the break. And I'm wondering what stories or what initiatives need to be told better about the ocean to inspire more climate action? Yeah, that's a great question. And we both work with young people. And my key takeaways from working with young people is that um, de climate denial is over. <laughs> that's yeah. I'm it's glad. Over. Yeah, I mean, well, I got my the parent my parents generation is still kicking with their climate denial, but the point <laughs> is that the, the young people that's that's over and they've moved actually um they're really scared. And so yeah, I'm called eco-anxiety and um it can be it can keep them it can keep them from not acting, right? And yeah. so a lot of communicators are pivoting to communicating solutions. And yeah. um, we've done that in many ways. I struggle in finding a balance point of sharing the reality while also sharing, um, you know, positivity. Mm -hmm. But that stuff motivates people more. And so what we're finding is that like young people and when you're talking about climate challenges and the climate crisis and solutions is um, you really got to highlight those like bright spots that make people stoked. I don't know if you noticed we did it in this episode. We talked about entanglement and then I highlighted a project yeah. that shares it. So it's like we want to communicate the reality of the situation and then be like, well, there's also a lot of urgency. Like, don't feel like your responsibility is absolved because this one nonprofit's working on plastic pollution. Like, you also need to find your place. And that's like a huge thing that we promoted at the beginning of the Conservationist Collective. We have a find your place learning hub on our website where people can do like activities and find like book and podcast and film recommendations to learn more so that they can be like, this is the stuff that really gets me excited. And then I could be yeah. passionate about. So definitely solution focused communication is like a huge tool. And another piece, which we had a chance to speak about, it's a term we coined. Um, I'm trying to write a report on it so that we can say that, but we're calling it trademark. <laughs> yeah. I know. I'm like, I need to trademark this. It's yeah. called called um, SEPs, Conservation Entry Points. And um, that would be like the sea turtle straw video. That yeah. would be the cove. And creating a library of conservation entry points for young people is like key, right? Because we, we just talked about it. Like we think back about the times when we were like, whoa, we want to be marine biologists. And then th that, was a, that was a SEP for us. And so... Yeah. Um, I think those are really necessary to to get everyone involved because we're not going to do the the greenies are not going to do this alone. We need no. every sector and um, we need the private sector. We need policy. We need people to use their gifts and skills um, however they can. We need designers and all those things. Yeah, because that video with the turtle, I mean, that inspired the private sector to make changes. And policy. And policy. And, yeah. And rest. Yeah. And restaurants and all the things. So. More steps. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I saw some straws in a local restaurant. They were called straw straws. So they were um, made out of yeah, straw. Straw. Yeah, loved it. Straw it straws. It even said a little sign that said straw straws. Circular systems. Yeah. Yeah, another question I've been um, interested in act asking you because of your uh, creative background is about um, the messaging and branding around climate change or climate action and how do you view that current 
branding of it and how, do you think we should change it? And, and if so, how should we? Yeah. Amazing question. No, uh, thank you. <laughs> I think there's two parts to this. The way that the climate crisis is covered in the media, uh, traditional media, like news outlets, is, first of all, it's not covered still. It isn't, no. It's not. And um, there can be like a giant hurricane that, that killed many people and it's not covered and they never say the word. And so there's that piece of it. So for, there's one piece of it that's like it's not being covered. Then when it is being covered, say in more like, quote, progressive outlets, it's not, it's all doom and gloom, which is mm -hmm. terrifying and um, really debilitating for many people yeah. and feels like we can't do anything. That So there's that traditional piece and it's um, incredibly unhelpful. And I would go as far to say is extremely damaging to the movement. And then there's what's happening on decentralized media somewhat, which would be like social media, where you can tell stories of frontline people and like indigenous communities are being centered in films of how, you know, they've stewarded their biodiversity. 80% of biodiversity is stewarded by indigenous groups. And so it's like, that is not a known fact, let alone like a story that's being told. So mm -hmm. now we've got like this shift towards storytelling, excitement, like it really is so exciting to know that every single job is going to be a climate job in the next yeah. years. Like there's so, and that so many people can actually create what they, the niche that they want to be in the world using climate and sustainability and the ocean. And so th there, there's now like tools and there's relatability factors, you know, now that we've got the rise of eco influencers, you can have like a friend or a mentor that you look up to that isn't actually that's on the internet, right? Mm. And um, so I would say like, I want us to shift. First of all, we need to talk about it, but we need to talk about it in productive ways. And that work is, like I said, all being done, like with the psychology of eco-anxiety and, yeah. uh, but I want to see it happening more with the ocean. Yeah, well, I feel like your organization is doing exactly what you just said in that, well, it's with the ocean, what you're passionate about, and you're finding the stories that tell the solutions and you're sharing them and getting people excited about it to either get involved, maybe come and help or potentially donate to the cause. So yeah, there's this um, media company called Peak Action that we're, they're one of our clients and collaborators, and they focus on general climate stuff, only on solutions. And so um, if people are like, really just want to be like, what's going on? That's helpful. They're such a great starting point for it. Yeah. And I think as an educator uh, right now, and you're dealing with th that generation you mentioned that has eco-anxiety, mm -hmm. that is worried, wants to help, doesn't know how, the assignments that you give them should be about the solutions and having them communicate. In real world. Yeah. Not these posters about the apocalypse, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Do this or we will be with the walking dead somewhere. So that's another thing. Yeah. Like the way Hollywood and movies, it's so apocalyptic the way they yeah. talk about it. And it's like, it's extreme. you could have like thriving cities, which is where I think so much of your work ties into this, where it's like students can get their hands dirty now with educators that put that at the forefront, right? With um, climate design projects or sustainability projects like my main specialty is middle school students but um 
the work that I did in college, like I, I had a project, a design project where I needed to communicate sustainable seafood, like in whatever medium. And I chose like a website and yeah. I got like, I learned how to make a website. Now I like make websites for nonprofits. So like, yeah, that's you're a like, designer. Yeah. Directly yeah. transferable, yeah. like complete, like it's, and as college students, that's the stuff that gets you to your next stepping stone in your career. It's not the classes you took. It's the projects you did in those classes mm -hmm. uh, that give you like tangible um, skills to that can be used for the planet. Yeah, I just came back from this climate conference in Detroit and Detroit's such an amazing city, right? And I grew up in Michigan and I still love Detroit. And it's about 90% BIPOC, they said, in terms of its a population and it's lost more than half its population since its renaissance in the uh, 1950s but they're trying to make it a climate resilient community um, fair just and green uh, because it floods it's near water and so they're very concerned about that they're building in green infrastructure and what got me at the end because there were all the talks there were solution-based and i was very inspired you're right, that helps, right, the solutions. And what got me was they said, we're building our Wakanda here in Michigan. And I was like, oh God, that's such a great way <laughs> to talk about yeah. it, right? This this great place for the people living there. So Yeah, I, I want that to be happening in Hawaii too. Like we're I at know. the point where, yeah, we need to meet all of our climate goals and commitments and things like that. But we need to be investing in adaptation and mitigation. And a huge gap in this that people are very rarely discussing is that needs to be financed. We need funding to go to yeah. that stuff. Yeah. I've been to Hawaii three times, and it seems that that's the problem, right? The tourism is the problem in, in Hawaii, yeah. potentially stopping these climate goals. Yeah, we're working on a policy right now. It's like our biggest project. Um, it's called the green fee and the, the green fees are actually used at tourism destinations all over the world. And you land, you pay a fee. We're looking at $50 goes back to natural resources and conservation. Yeah. With our scale of our tourism industry, it would generate 400 to $500 million a year. Wow. Yeah. I was in Kauai and I remember hiking and driving around in this gorgeous, like green lush landscape. And then there was a landfill. And it was just like, what? Yeah, <laughs> You're stupid creatures, right? <laughs> our waste systems are so broken. Right. <laughs> yeah. uh, but okay. that, there's so much like opportunity there too, right? So mm. I always try to say like, there's an ocean of opportunity for Love you. That. There's an ocean of opportunity. Yeah. So. Well, we're uh, running out of time. Unfortunately, this has been super fun. And I have my favorite question that I ask everyone. And that is to ask you to be a design educator for um, a few minutes here. And based on all your experience and work and knowledge, what would you do if you were asked to teach a design class? What kind of projects or how would you um, put that class together and what would you assign? Yeah. Um, well, I created, I specialize in project-based learning for the middle schoolers, and I've created a handful of design projects for that grade level, right? So like super entry level, like I had, once they use like math and science to design like a rehabilitation animal sanctuary or something, or um, like in Ocean Connections, they each day learn a new skill. So they get to design like a social media post that has a call to action or something yeah. like that. 
But with college students, you have such an incredible opportunity to kind of dive a lot deeper. And so yeah. what I, I would do as an educator is actually just provide guardrails, like um, about like requirements that would, you know, get them the points or whatever, but actually leave a lot of freedom of how it, how it comes to life. So, you know, find a topic that you care about, you know, choose three, dive into three and then choose one um, so that they actually get like a wide overview of three really um, serious climate or conservation topics. And then I always do this practice where it's like, what did you like when you were younger? Mm -hmm. Like you were a kid. Like I liked playing in kids and photography, right? And it's like, take those childhood passions and use them for your design project. Yeah. So it could be an incredible poster series, like what you did with the sea turtle video or what I'm doing for the coral reef signage. But it could also be like an art installation mm -hmm. that speaks to the waste cycle. Um, and that's all like the creative and artistic components of it. It can also be technical. Like um, I have a friend who he's in Florida and toys, plastic toys are always left all over the beaches. And so oh. he does like, uh, take a toy, leave a toy box and is putting them at beach accesses. And it's mm -hmm. like he designed that box and designed the cute signage and made it Instagrammable and all the things. And now it's preventing waste. And so yeah. I, I don't think I would be very specific on what the requirements were. I would just give examples of other things at, for inspiration and then kind of let them choose based off their yeah. passions and their skills. Yeah, I could see myself in your class and little Eric <laughs> you could be a, a marine biologist finally. Yes, you could. <laughs> you could do. There's so much ocean innovation that can happen. Like we got to harness tidal energy, guys. Like that stuff is yeah. free. It's free. Yeah. It's every <laughs> like, day too. Every yeah. Like another day. It's predictable. And so um, just, yeah, I think that's such incredible opportunities for students, what you're doing in the classes. It's like, this is. It, it flexes that muscle in our brains where you have to make something from nothing. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're doing here. I could also see the students in your class going to your website um, and finding these things that are issues with the ocean for them to, because they may not even know what issues are there happening. Are. Yeah. yeah. And, and so you have and a the, great resource there. Yeah. The Find Your Place Learning Hub has so many things for you Perfect. guys. So check it out. and. Uh, Dedicate your life to the planet. That's what of I tell course. you. Of course. Yeah. Think. And you had a great play on words there. It's you have an ocean of opportunity. Dive in. Yeah. Dive in. <laughs> yeah. There it is. Wow. There's yeah. You said that. Yeah. It wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> it's time to get time to get into the nitty gritty stuff. So uh, thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Carissa. Um, thank you for being here. Um, where can we find you online again? Yeah. So I create content under Carissa on climate on like TikTok and Instagram, but the conservationist collective is also on TikTok and Instagram and Pinterest and LinkedIn and all and YouTube and all the things. Um, <laughs> but there's a lot of really free, amazing resources at the conservationistcollective.org that is like a great entry point for people. Um, and then if you want more like long form listening podcast, um, sustainability in the sea also has a lot of episodes for you all. So yeah, I'll yeah. definitely listen into that one. Yeah. Bopping around on the internet. That's yeah. what that's <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. And best of luck to your organization. It's, it's an amazing group and uh, I really am inspired by it. Yeah. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. 
This podcast is written, produced, and engineered by me. Designed by Bashul Rashik and Mark O'Brien. With social media strategy by Michelle Wynn. Music by Casual Motive. Well, that's officially a wrap this time for season two. I wish you a wonderful holiday season, celebrating however you do, and I hope to see you again in 2023 for season three, where Climify will focus exclusively only on solutions. We don't have time to only talk about climate action. We need to get busy. So until then, keep on doing good work. Thanks for listening to Climify. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. To catch all the latest on Climify, you can follow us on Instagram at Climify Podcast. Climify is part of Climate Designers. Learn more at climatedesigners.org slash edu.